Hey friends, welcome back to another episode of Deeper Still, the women's ministry podcast of Christ Church of Oak Brook. My name is Sue Ann Camfield. I am on staff here at the church and I have the great pleasure of being the host of this podcast. Here at Deeper Still, we are all about cutting through the chaotic and the mundane to pay attention to what God is doing. We want to hear his voice in our lives and to go deeper still in our relationship with him and with one another. And as always, I'm so glad that you're here. At the end of last week's podcast, I said that we would be hearing today from Terabeth Leach, the author of Radiant Church, but we had to switch gears a little bit as Terabeth is spending some time with her sweet dad as he enters the last days of his life um, after battling a long battle with cancer. And so please be praying for Terabeth and her family, and we are hoping that we will have her back here in just a few short weeks. That said, I am incredibly excited about today's episode because we are going to be talking about one of my favorite things to talk about in all of the world, as well as one of the most formative tools that God has used to transform my own character, my relationship with others, and my relationship with Him. And some of you know it, some of you might have guessed it. That's right, today we're going to talk about the Enneagram. Uh, Now, we have mentioned the Enneagram quite a bit on this show. We've talked about it in passing as it relates to a lot of different subjects. In fact, our last episode with Adele Calhoun, we scratched the service a little bit more as we talked about her book, Spiritual Rhythms for the Enneagram. In fact, if you haven't listened to that episode, I would encourage you to go back and do that. There is so much good uh, information in that episode, but We've never actually devoted an entire episode to really talking about what the Enneagram is and how we can use it for a tool for transformation in our lives. And so that is what we are going to do today. And I can't think of a better person to help guide our conversation today than my friend and colleague, the Dr. Reverend, as I like to call him, Eric Haskins. Eric has served on staff here at the church for the last four and a half years as our pastor of spiritual formation, as well as served on the staff of several local churches over the years. He has an undergraduate degree from Moody, a master's from Wheaton College, and a doctorate of ministry and spiritual formation from Portland Seminary. So we are in good company for this conversation today. He and his wife, Linda, have been married for 29 years. His daughter, Maya, is getting ready to start her sophomore year in college. I'm sure you will hear more about both of them as we enter this conversation today. He is an avid board gamer, a creative photographer, and is an Enneagram 7, which I know you will hear more about as we continue this conversation today. So friends, wherever you find yourself today, saddle up, settle in, listen in as Eric and I go deeper still. Well, Eric, my friend, it is so good to have you on the podcast today. Uh, I'm so glad that you're here. It is good to be here, Suzanne. You know what I'm laughing right about right now as I'm looking at you? We were, uh, Eric's office is just down the hall from mine. We are, we've been on staff. We were actually hired the same day here yeah. at Christ Church, which is a fun little fact we like to share. But I heard him telling someone else that Sue finally asked me to be on her podcast, <laughs> oh, and that's you, what you you're doing that, this huh? afternoon. <laughs> our walls are thin, <laughs> so I heard that. <laughs> you have been on my list for a while yeah. to um, talk about uh, all things Enneagram. So um, before we jump in, here. How, how are you doing today? Just tell our audience, because this is your first time here, your first time guest. Yeah. Tell, them, tell them how you're doing today. I am doing well. 
I didn't expect that question. I, I, I told you we go off uh, script. I don't always stay on the script. So. Oh, that's okay. Uh, <laughs> today I'm doing well. It's been uh, fun just thinking about this and all things Enneagram. And it's interesting. I'm doing this today. I'm actually leading an Enneagram workshop uh, for an organization next week, a team-based. Oh. So we're going to talk a lot about individual Enneagram, but there's also an element of this um, that, is, that we love because we share that here at church. Mm-hmm. The idea of the Enneagram and how it helps facilitate teams to be more effective together. Yes. So I've, my mind's been all on that. Now, yes. Th- thanks for asking. Yes. Well, you know, that's one thing I didn't mention in your bio is that this is something you do a lot of. Mm-hmm. You lead teams. You've led our staff. You, I've had you into different pockets of ministry. I think the whole church has had you into different pockets mm-hmm. of ministry. You just did a thing for Reclaim 13, I which did. we had Cassandra Ma here right. uh, a few weeks ago. Mm-hmm. If you don't know Reclaim 13 or Cassandra Ma, look up that episode. Um so you have done a lot of this. So I feel like this conversation that you and I are going to have today is just an overflow mm-hmm. of your experience and your own soul journey of moving into the Enneagram. Yeah, I think that's very, very true. And uh, as you share, we'll be sharing little pieces of that on our journey here today. Yeah, I can't wait. This is going to be a lot of fun today. It is. You and I are going to have fun. How much? We have two hours? <laughs> Yeah, right. Our audience just all like fell over and passed out a little bit. Uh, We could talk about this easily for two hours. But hey, we have a lot of ground to cover. And I know we are both really eager to go as deep as we can with the time that we have. So let's get started and dive right in. Not drive right in. Let's dive right in. Uh, As I mentioned in the intro, you know, we have talked a lot about the Enneagram on this show. We have talked about it in women's ministry. So people who are listening who are part of my ministry, We have done a lot with the Enneagram. We talk about it in our church. It's become super popular in the Christian world. I think it has skyrocketed books, a lot of them to bestseller status. Um, But we've never actually taken the time to say, what is the Enneagram (laughs) Mm -hmm. and why should we care? So imagine you're sitting at a dinner party with some friends and you're all kind of talking Enneagram speak, which sometimes can sound like a different language for people who don't know. <laughs> and you have there. a, you, right. Uh, and you have a buddy at the table who afterwards comes up in the mm-hmm. kitchen while you're getting your coffee and says, dude, mm-hmm. what the heck are you guys talking about? What is the Enneagram and why does it matter? What would you say? Yeah, there, there's two different uh, levels to that. My answer one base level uh, is basically the Enneagram is a personality te- test of sorts that helps you see how you approach the world and maybe why start discerning why you approach things the way you do, right? A lot of us just live life and we never think about why we respond or react or live or have tensions or have joys Mm. over certain things. So the Enneagram is a tool, base level, um, personality test to help you see that. Taking that step deeper still. (laughs) Well done, my friend. Well done. That's what we do here. Uh, With the Enneagram, I love it as a formational resource. And we're going to be unpacking that in different ways through our discussion here. Uh, It really helps you to see your false self, as Paul Mm. would say, and to take off the false self and to put on your true self. False self is that unredeemed side of yourself um, that Jesus wants to rescue you out of. Your true self is your self that God has created you to be. Mm. And there's few formational resources out there that I've come across uh, that allows you to do both of those, right? And so if you're not a fan of the Enneagram, hey, God bless you. 
My question to you, though, as a pastor of spiritual formation is, how are you seeing your false self and taking it off? And how are you putting on your true self? Mm. For me, the Enneagram is that place and that resource uh, with the Holy Spirit involved, especially, that helps you to do both. Mm, That's a great answer. Love that answer. Thanks. Thanks. You're welcome. (laughs) And we'll talk a little bit more as we go through the numbers about Mm -hmm. kind of how that false self and true self plays out in some practical ways. So if you're listening right now and you're like, what, wait, what, what are you talking about? Don't worry. We'll get there and we'll give you some handles for that. But what I love is that, um, you know, it's easy to describe as a personality test because Mm -hmm. it's kind of like how else do you describe it? But it's so much more than a personality test. And I love that you... um, you don't leave people there. And and it's it's very tempting, even for myself. I want to jump right into the numbers and talk about these personality types and, you know, poke fun at my spouse and mm-hmm. you know, my coworkers and myself for all these you know, quirks that we, we never have. Do that. And we never do that, right? I would never do that. You would never do that. Um, but I love that you actually are really passionate about the scriptural for, for mm-hmm. um, foundation and the theological foundation for the Enneagram that actually makes it different than just a Myers Briggs mm-hmm. or some other personality test that disc profile that you can take. Mm-hmm. And you call these, this theological foundation, um, you frame it in scripture and you say, you know, there's some formational points that we can learn. And so before we jump into, I was going to say the fun stuff, that sounds horrible. Before we jump to the fun <laughs> all stuff, this is fun. I know, I'm all of this, this fun. Is um, give us some context around that theological foundation for the Enneagram. Yeah. So, you know, to be clear and to be like a better word, accurate here, you know, the Enneagram doesn't come from scripture. And frankly, no one really knows its origin. There's a lot of guesses. It's ancient. Um, it's been developed, but you know, it, it definitely works. And the formational points that I glean from scripture, it's always important for me to ground my resources in scripture. Do I see elements of this that illustrate what this is about? And when I look at the life of Jesus, Right, and looked at how he interacted with people. There are some beautiful passages. Uh, two people that come to mind uh, right away are I call them Nico and Richie, uh, Nicodemus and the rich young ruler. Mm. And so, just very briefly for us, I'm going to walk us through those two. And if you know your New Testament, you've been hanging around the church, uh, you probably are familiar with these stories. Uh, but just to familiarize yourself, if you want to hit pause on this podcast, read Mark 10, 17 to 31, and John 3, 1 through 17. That's where you're going to find the stories of the rich young ruler and Nicodemus. Uh, in essence, uh, both come to Jesus. Both of these men come to Jesus in two very different ways. Um, they come, one comes at night, Nicodemus. One comes in broad daylight, the rich young ruler. And if you remember, the rich young ruler comes to Jesus. And what does he do? He falls at his feet, right? And it's a rich, young ruler. So to see this rich, young ruler run to Jesus, fall at the feet of Jesus, in a sense, he's making a spectacle. Mm. Everyone's eyes would be on him. So hold that point, okay? Nicodemus, what does he do? Who is he? Remember, he's a Pharisee. He comes to Jesus when? Not in broad daylight. He comes to Jesus at night, Mm. right? Secretive. And he approaches Jesus. Now, what's interesting here is when you look at the dialogue between Jesus and these two people, they are talking more or less about the same thing. How do you have eternal life? And yet, this is what I find so fascinating. Jesus tells them two very different answers. Hmm. And if anyone knows how to, the answer to how do you have eternal life, it's Jesus. And yet he gives two very different answers. So what is going on here? 
All right. Um, something deeper, something deeper still <laughs> is happening. It's always deeper still. Yes, it's d- deeper still is happening. So uh, some formational points then. First of all, Jesus knows these two men better than they know themselves. Okay. He knows these two people better than he knows themselves. Um, he knows what their stories are. He knows that they're both successful. He knows um, what their desires are, right? And um, I would say he knows really what their motivations are in coming to him. So another idea, another point I like to draw from this uh, is that more than knowing their stories, he knows what's holding them back from fully embracing the kingdom of God, Mm. from fully embracing him. Because as these two stories play out, and when you take them side by side, if you remember, what does he tell the rich young ruler? You remember that, Suan? Uh, yeah, he tells him to sell everything he owns and yes. give it to the poor. Yes. and, and before, That was pressure right there. <laughs> that was okay. You, you did great. Before he says that, uh, the rich young ruler uh, basically says, hey, I've done all these things. I've kept all the commands like you, you told me. And Jesus is like, yeah, you're right. There's one thing you haven't done. You haven't, you know, or there's one thing you need to do more is sell all your possessions, right? Um, Nicodemus, on the other hand, he comes to Jesus and Jesus tells him, don't sell your possessions to have eternal life. He says, be born again, become like a baby. So you're like, okay, what is going on? So sit with that. All right. Each one, then Jesus offers an invitation to move forward after showing them the path, the path for the rich young ruler, sell your possessions, follow me. Mm -hmm. The path for Nicodemus is become like a baby. Relearn what you think you know, right? So again, the block for Nicodemus, as a Pharisee, he had all the answers. That was, his knowledge was literally blocking him from embracing Jesus. So Jesus tells him, let go of that and become like a baby, be born again and learn from me. Then if, when you read, it's a lot longer dialogue between him and Nicodemus than it is between Jesus and the rich young ruler, which is interesting. And this might not make sense here, folks, yet, but um, I would say Nicodemus is a five in the Enneagram, Mm -hmm. and the rich young ruler is a three. And what we know about threes is they like efficiency. So what does Jesus tell him? Hey, here's what you got to do. I'm going to bullet point it for you, right? Sell your possessions, follow me, done. (laughs) And Nicodemus, as a five, he wants more information. He wants to understand. He wants to do the research, right, as that Pharisee. And so Jesus spells it out, and he has this amazing dialogue with him, taking the time to inform him of that information. Um, taking a step further, one of the saddest scriptures that I believe in all the scripture is the response of the rich young ruler. In verse 22 of Mark 10, At this, at being told, sell your possessions and give to the poor and follow me. At this, the man's face fell and he went away sad for he had many possessions. So hold that. And then Nicodemus does just the opposite. We see Nicodemus now inquiring in the next several passages in scripture. We see him going from private at night to more a public uh, support even of Jesus. The rich young ruler, on the other hand, walks away from Jesus. He couldn't do it. So again, you, you back up a little bit. And Jesus, this is, this is the power of the Enneagram. The Enneagram shows us 
what we are holding on to and what we need to let go of to fully embrace the life of the kingdom. And that is the beauty of it. For each of us, it might be a little bit different, right? Um, And again, playing out the rich young ruler, he wasn't really interested in Jesus to truly follow him for Jesus' sake, for Jesus who he was. He was interested as a three, another accomplishment to throw down the back of the camel, so to speak, with all his other accomplishments, right? Made a spectacle at running to Jesus, bowing before him. Look at me even, mm-hmm. right? Um, hearing Jesus' acclaim, he probably smiled a little bit. Hey, you have kept all the commandments. That's good for you. And I could just see his face fall when he was told, but there's one thing more you have to do. Give up all your accomplishments, sell it all, and follow me, mm-hmm. right? Um, and yet through the Enneagram, when we offer that to the Holy Spirit, that's exactly what happens for us. We are able to see what we're clinging to, and then we're given that pathway ahead. What are we willing to let go of? That's so good. So good. And you know what I love about that is as people are listening right now, I'm sure they can see themselves in one of those stories. They're mm. saying, oh, that sounds like me. But even if they don't, when you get to that question, mm. and, and you know, I have the benefit of seeing you as we're doing this, and so I can see your hands actually looking like they're grabbing onto something and then mm-hmm. releasing it. And I think, you know, maybe for some of us, we say, I am the rich young ruler, and it is achieving an accomplishment and possessions that I'm holding on to. For others of us, we don't see ourselves in that, but that question of what are we holding on to? So maybe it's our it's our children, maybe it's relationships, maybe it's security, maybe it's um, power and control. You know, there's so many things that we can say, what are we holding on to that Jesus is saying, you got to let that go and then follow me. Mm-hmm. That's a formational moment. Yeah, for sure. For sure. It's, it's those, and that's what the Enneagram helps us to see those things that we are holding on to for life instead of Jesus. Mm. And anything that we're holding on to life instead of Jesus has to be let go of. Yes. If we want true life. Well, and it points us to the call of Jesus, right? The mm-hmm. call of Jesus. We often, and I do this too, we talk about these specific things that Jesus is calling us to do, but the call of Jesus ultimately is follow me. Mm-hmm. That's what he calls all of his people to. And so remembering that's the call to be transformed more into his image and to follow him. What is standing in the way between us and more fully living into that life of following Jesus, of being transformed that he calls us to. Mm-hmm. It's good stuff, my friend. It is good. It's good stuff. We can sit with this stuff. I knew. I told you before we came in, I said, we're going to want to just get stuck in talking about one thing because we could talk about this the rest of the time and we already have to move on, which makes me sad. But I know that you also are open to talking about people, uh, talking with people about any of this. So just as we go through the show, if there's, if you want to say, hey, can I have coffee with Eric Haskins? I know I I didn't ask you this, but I'm just looking at you because I know you. Uh, That is a good possibility. He'd be happy to talk to you more about this stuff. So look us up afterwards. We'll give you some handles and some ways to to do that. But um, having that foundation now and understanding um, uh, that call and why the Enneagram is such a powerful tool and what the transformational piece is of it, 
let's talk about some of these personality types, some of these numbers so that we can say, gosh, if I, if I see myself in this, this number, then I can start to identify that thing that might be a barrier mm-hmm. of, of more fully following Christ. So um, let's start with these numbers and uh, I will let you lead how you want and I will follow you. So dive in, dive in where you think is appropriate. I okay. think, uh, I think we're going to start with number eight if I'm right, we but are. I'm going to let you lead. Yeah. It's an odd, odd thing. If you're not familiar with the Enneagram, you're like, okay, we're starting with eight. Yeah, we're going to start with eight. Um, The Enneagram big picture is divided up into what we call triads. And triads are basically emotional centers. Um, There's three emotional centers. That's why they're called triads. And it's basically how do you perceive the world? And the three emotional centers, in essence, are either in your head for your thoughts, your emotions, your feelings, or your gut, your instincts. Mm. Right. So we're going to begin actually with the last one I just mentioned, the instincts, the gut triad, which are eight nines and ones. So if you look at the Enneagram circle, they'll be right on top of the circle, eight, nine and one. That's why we start with eight. And you're saying if we're in that triad and we're a gut person, it means most of our decisions are going to be made from the gut. Is that a good way to say that? Uh, Yes, we're going to more extinctual. Um, yes, I'm just going with my gut on this one. Okay. Um, does that kind of make sense? Yes, totally. Thanks for clarifying. Uh, big picture too, you know, on that point, um, when you encounter life, your first reaction is basically to do something. Um, and in essence, this is going to sound interesting, but you, if you're in this, you're going to relate to it. You more or less move against people. So eight, nine and ones are going to be more of a, uh, and sometimes can see in your face kind of folks at times. Um, and but that might present in different ways as well as we go through this. So okay. gonna jump right in with eights. Okay, let's do it. I have I'm married to an eight and have a daughter yes. that's an eight. So eight's one of my favorite numbers to talk about. Yes. <laughs> uh, eights and every number also has this little um, descriptor term to it that tells you a little bit about them right off the bat. So eights are the challengers, right? The challengers. They're direct, they're self-reliant, self-confident, uh, they're protective, uh, especially of their clan, so to speak. Uh, motivations for eights, what gets them out of bed, what um, makes them excited is to protect themselves and to be in control of their own life. Mm. That's what motivates them to be uh, in life and through life. They want to be in control, not anyone else. Uh, overall fear for them is to be harmed or controlled by others, mm. right? Uh, for each one, I'm also going to give you a formational question to ask. So as you discern what any type you are, Uh, these questions might help you take that next step Mm. towards releasing whatever you need to release to Jesus. So a formational question for an eight is how am I submitting or powering under? Now, it's just so funny because I was in a meeting with your husband last week (laughs) and he goes, Eric, give me one of those formational questions for an eight. He actually asked me this. Good for him. He's transforming. Yeah, he is transforming. (laughs) Yeah, No doubt. He's a transforming eight. However, when I said, okay, his name is Eric as well, if you didn't know that. I go, Eric, uh, as an eight, how are you submitting? Now, uh, let me just say, I can't really say his response because it wasn't very pastoral. <laughs> so I'll just leave it at that because it is going to be very hard. And each of these formational questions is designed that way to be, it's hard because yes. this is part of that formation. Things that you have, you're wired to do in one way, but it's really, if you're not a redeemed number, any type, it's going to be your false self speaking. Yes. So your false self says as an eight, I want to be in control. And when you say, I want to submit, 
that is something whole different that it's going to freak out about. Right. And I think one of the things I've learned about AIDS is that the more out of control life is either externally or internally, uh, and especially if both of those things feel chaotic, if their soul feels chaotic and their external circumstances feel chaotic, they cling to that control yes. even more. They yes. power, that's when they power up mm-hmm. and maybe are at their worst self where they're really good. I love because they're called the challenger. Mm-hmm. But the other word that really helped me, uh, again, being married to an eight, raising a teenage daughter who is an eight. Hello, if anyone is out there doing that, please call me <laughs> because we can have coffee over that. Um, is that uh, another word for that is the defender. Yes. And that was helpful because sometimes we do focus on the challenging pieces of these personalities, no matter which one they are. But that defender, yes. and I thought, that is true. They defend to the death. There is no one you better you want on your team mm-hmm. because they're going to defend you and have your back. And they advocate for uh, people and for things they believe in, in a way, because they're going to defend what they believe yeah. in passion. And so I love that about eights. Yeah. And then... Something you just mentioned, I just want to go on a slight tangent here. That, that's the problem having a seven as your guest because we're going to go on lots of tangents because there's like shiny things. Folks, there's like buttons all around me and you have no idea how hard it's for me not to press them. Anyway, uh, that's my seven speaking. Yeah. Uh, the tangent is the idea that when you first do the Enneagram, you will feel horrible about yourself. Oh, yes, yes. Please be ready for that and work <laughs> through that. Mm. Okay. In fact, I love this quote um, from Richard War. The Enneagram tells it like it is. And our healing and maturing always begins with our acknowledging of what is there. As a mirror for the confessional, it makes us aware of blocks and abysses that enslave us. Mm. I love that. Tells it like it is. And usually when we first hear it, we don't want to hear it. But lean into it. And work through it because there's life as you lean into it Mm -hmm. and work through that. Yes, that's a good word. Thanks for saying that right off the bat. Um, All right, tell us about a nine. Nine, the peacemakers. Uh, They're receptive. They're good natured. They're supportive. Um, and you know, as in the name, they're peacemakers. Very peaceful. They're my favorite Um, people. They are very (laughs) fun. I love my nines. Well. I like them because they can do anything. Well, they will do anything because you just got to tell them and they're not going to argue with you. Right. They'll they're resent you say, later. But <laughs> Yeah, they'll resent you later and may never call you again. But they're going to go, yeah, I'll go there for dinner. I'll do that. Sure. Um, their, their motivation in life is to have that inner stability, that quote unquote peace of mind. Their fear is loss and separation. So they don't want to lose the relationship. They don't want to lose the friendship. They don't want to lose the position. So they're just going to go along with it at first. But in essence, obviously, that's not healthy, Mm. right? Um, A good formational question for a nine then is, where am I sacrificing self for the sake of peace? Say more about that. The idea that uh, where am I not speaking truly what I believe? Oh, got it. And I'm just going with the flow just to, because I don't want to have that conflict. Mm. And so if you have a nine on your team, if you have a nine as a spouse, you know, make sure they know you're with them and invite their true view of whatever situation it is. Mm. Because at first they might just go along with it, but inside they're, you know, maybe dying. Yeah. Right. Their heart is aching. Yeah. Because they're being run over and they mm. just can't go 
to the point of speaking out against it. Mm. And nines need people in their lives that encourage them yes. to that it's okay to say what they want. I have a colleague who, it's your, one of your colleagues too, who uh, he makes his Chipotle order. The, yes. the He chooses it on what is easiest for someone to order, whether he actually, I, I don't know if he actually likes it or not, yeah. but I'm assuming he does, but he wants to make it as easy as possible for someone else to order so that they are at peace when they go to order it, that there's no stress for them. So that's just one example, but isn't that interesting? Nines are, they're peace at all costs, but peace at all costs does not necessarily, you know, I remember Dan Meyer once saying, you know, Jesus didn't come to call us to be uh, peacekeepers. Mm -hmm. He called us to be peacemakers. And there's a difference between just keeping the peace because you're, you don't want to ruffle feathers and actually making peace by, um, by I don't have words to finish that. Giving it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So yeah. although that coworker, I love going out with that coworker because yes. for whatever reason, he always pays because <laughs> I because <laughs> okay. we like him so much. Because we like him so much. I'm like, hey, can you pay for this? <laughs> yeah, sure. I'd be happy to. <laughs> and then he's cussing you out later. <laughs> I uh, love us some nice. Re- All right. How about reformers. A one? Yeah. Re- ones of the reformers. Um, they're realistic, they're conscientious, they're principled. Uh, they want to do things right, and they strive for the high ideals, uh, especially to a fault. Uh, their ultimate motivation is to be good, to have integrity, and to be in balance with everything. They don't. Their fear is to be defective and to be perceived as being wrong. Mm. Right. So one's very interesting. Um, working with a one, it, you know, they say if if you want to give one a uh, a joke just tell them how you think things should be done and they'll get a kick out of it uh because they know how things should be done, and they're gonna buy and well tell you right uh formational question for one where am i letting others do it their way wow and all the ones listening just shuddered their whole body yeah. just or they just deleted this podcast and turned it off done. you guys don't know what you're talking about <laughs> Well, ones are also called perfectionists. Yes. Are, is that true? Yeah. If they're, if they're not keeping that false self in check, it can definitely go easily to the perfectionist side. Mm-hmm. And they will get extremely tress, stressed out about not having everything perfect, right, uh, in that way. Um, because they view it as a reflection on them, um. right? And then they're going to be held accountable for that. And they're going to make sure everything's right so they can say, well, at least I did it the right way. Mm. So what do they gain if they step into that formational question and let someone else do it their way that is different from how they would do it? What do they gain from that? Yeah, they gain the, I would say, you know, initially is the release that the world's not on their shoulders. Oh, that's good. That they don't have to carry everything. There Mm -hmm. are people around them Mm -hmm. that are gifted, that love them regardless. And here's the other thing. Regardless, for one, they need to know they're valued even if they fail. Hmm. And so if you have a one in your life, a family member, um, a child, a spouse, a coworker that's a one, you need to let them know, hey, I'm with you. Hmm. I love you and care for you even when you let me down. Hmm. And you're going to, and I'm going to let you down. Hmm. That's going to be hard for them to hear. And at first, they're not going to believe it. And so you need to follow that up um, and reemphasize that. Well, and that's one of the things that stuck out to me when I read the Richard Young Roller story 
uh, right before in preparation for this podcast, the the phrase that I've never noticed before that says, Jesus genuinely loved yes, him. Yes. And it's like you see Jesus' heart for this man mm-hmm. that he just, he wants to say, I, I just, I love mm-hmm. you. I see you. And so that even that story, ones mm-hmm. can put themselves in that story and just remember that Jesus, he looks and genuinely loves yeah. and he knows this. Yeah. yeah, that's good. All right, good stuff. I hate moving on because, golly, there's this so much to fast, talk about. Folks. I know this, this is, is fast. fast. This is this is just to whet your appetite. All right, let's move on to the next triad, yep. which is the heart triad, which is our twos, threes, and fours. Right. So, so if tell you us about that. Are looking at Enneagram circle? We're going clockwise now around that circle, um, and we come into the twos, which I can't help but smile lovingly <laughs> uh, when I say twos because my wife Linda is a amazing two. Um, and as I read these words, Linda, hear them. You're warm, <laughs> you're concerned, you're nurturing, and you're definitely sensitive to other people's needs. And that is why we absolutely love twos um, as a whole. Uh, their motivation in life is to be loved unconditionally. Their fear uh, is not is to be unwanted. And uh, in some sense, if you go if they go to a darker place, unworthy of being loved. Hmm. So part of their motivation is doing things for others in order to receive that love for whatever reason that has come about. Mm. Um, and obviously we hear that and we go, oh, that's not really good. Right, it's not um, that motivation piece. Yeah. Formational question for two is what am I doing for myself? And that's interesting, and, you know, just my, my wife's spiritual director um, gave her uh, a, um, a task one time, a, an assignment, homework. And I'm like, I heard it. And I'm going to share with you in a second. But I'm like, I wish my spiritual director would give me this. <laughs> but for my wife, you know, because she's a two and she's always doing for others. Yes. And twos have a bad habit of not thinking about themselves at all. Yes. My wife's spiritual director said, you know, Linda, you need to go to a spa day just for you. And I'm like, what? And I'm and now for me, obviously, spa days every day for me. <laughs> I'm a seven. No one ever has to tell yeah, me to no go to spa. I'm doing it. Uh, but for my wife, she heard that and she actually, you know, she came home and she says, I don't know if I could do this. Wow. Right? And, and some of you out there, man, is that true? I tell you, if you know it too, give them that, ask them that, do something for you. Or when was the last time you did something for yourself? That will be very telling. Mm. Um, so yeah, that's yeah. Good. And, and what can happen to twos is they, they do, do, do so much. Not only do they get worn out and burned out, but then they start to get a little bitter and resentful because yeah. no one is doing for them, mm-hmm. uh, what they are so generously doing for everyone else. And so there is mm-hmm. a, you know, that's the downside of that. There's a heart check, a motivation check in there. Am I doing this, uh, to serve others? But at what point does it become, I'm looking around the room saying, why am I the only one doing the dishes? Right. You know? Right. Or. Or again, doing it for that acclaim and to be loved. I have another two in my life. I won't say who, but uh, they did something for me once. And I called them a couple days later. And the first thing they said when they heard it was me was, I was wondering when you were going to call me and thank me for this. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, okay. This is how this is going to go, huh? Uh, so, but that, that's real life twos. Yeah. Yeah. All right. The threes, we've touched on threes a little bit in the beginning, but uh, tell us more about a three. Yeah. Threes are like the rich young rulers are the achievers. They're energetic. They're optimistic. Usually they're self-assured. They are very much goal oriented. Uh, They are motivations in life is to accomplish, to be efficient, to uh, have the acclaim. Um, Motivation, uh, formational question for them would be, why am I not facing all of, or sorry, 
where am I not facing all of reality? Right now, that's interesting. If you hear that first, you go, huh, how does that connect? Because the threes are very outward focus, right? Think of the rich young ruler. He wanted Jesus as another accomplishment. You have the things on the wall. You have um, your job. You have the corner office. You have the shiny car. All these external accomplishments. And so anything, if they um, fail or mess up, they're always going to tell you the half truth. Mm. Oh, this is doing great over here. And then, (laughs) and it's going to trail off and they're just going to leave that out. My life is great over here. I'm connected X, Y, look how I'm accomplishing. And they're never going to tell you that last 10%. Mm. So for a three to lean into you, where am I not facing all of reality? Tell me that last, you know, 10%, as they say, that is very hard, but it's going to be life giving because then they're going to face all of reality. Mm. Mm, That's good. Good. I I also can't help but think of um, parents who are threes, Mm. who have children who are not threes. So you have the high achieving, overachieving parent, type Mm A, (laughs) go, Mm -hmm. go, go. And then they have a child that's maybe a nine, a peacekeeper Mm -hmm. or some other number that is not motivated by the same things and the pressure that a three can put on a child to achieve, 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 especially in today's world and what that actually does to their soul. Yeah. Yikes. Because many times in those situations, the child is deemed as a reflection of the parent. Yes. So you're not living up to my expectations as your parent. So I look less than in front of my friends, mm. right? Which is so sad to say, but how often do we see it? Now around here, Sue Ann, <laughs> we have a little catchphrase for this because around here we have a lot of threes. We have a, we work with a lot we of threes. Are, oh yeah. And Sue Ann and I are, have a little tear going down our <laughs> eye right now. And our, especially in our, our team where we deal, I mean, our focus is spiritual formation of the church, right? We do, that is what we live and breathe. And Sue Ann, what's our rally cry? Spiritual formation is not efficient. Yes, yes. And threes hear that like nails on a chalkboard. All right. They want efficiency. They want to bullet point it. But spiritual formation is not efficient. The long road is often the best road to take. No one uh, likes it, but it's so true. That's right. So So good. I know. We have threes out there throwing daggers at us right now. We want to keep our jobs. (laughs) We have not been efficient for them on this podcast. Uh, (laughs) Let's move to our number fours. Yeah. Fours are the romantics. Uh, They're the individualists, as they're called. Uh, They ride the emotional roller coasters. They love the ups. They love the downs. They're warm and perceptive. And Sue Ann, (laughs) are you a four? I might be a four. It depends on what you continue to say about them, if she, I'm going to fess she, up to it or not. Sue Ann is definitely a four. <laughs> Can I tell two stories about you? Oh, Lord. Sure. Okay, so one story, riding the emotional roller coaster. Um, one day, I'm like, Sue Ann, how was your, your day off? She's like, oh, it was great. And I think she even started crying a little bit there on the spot. She goes, it was great, Eric. I went to this movie by myself, and I just cried through the whole thing. And I'm going... And like, I don't even know what to say because that is like the worst day of my life going to a movie by myself. And first of all, why are you at a movie where you cry at? Oh, it's not a good movie if I don't cry at it. Yeah. So again, (laughs) riding the emotional roller coaster. One other story is when Sue Ann moved, her office is two doors down from mine. Uh, She has a lovely office. And I came in and I said, Sue Ann, your office is just lovely. And I think she started crying because of that, because it was unique. And fours love to be the individual. You know, they want the unique office. 
Um, but it's it's great. If you ever you've never been to Sue Ann's office, it is a lovely place. Go see it. <laughs> it's a little it. messy right now, but you know what's so interesting is thank you for saying uh, true and good things. But it's I hear you know to your point earlier, you hear your number and you're just devastated because I hear the four and I f- I say I feel like I'm a diva. Mm-hmm. Like it's you want to be special, you want to be unique, and I say it like that because that's how I hear it. And so I really have to fight against this image that I'm afraid people have if I fully live into this that I'm you know you always have to be different or you have to be you know (laughs) you want to be special and I'm like come on so um but I've learned to embrace some of that as well because I think it also is what makes me me just like all Mm -hmm. of these things right it did it allows me to do things in a way um that other people don't do it allows me to be fully me because that's how God has wired and created Mm -hmm. me which again goes back to Jesus looking and saying I genuinely love you because I've I've created you to be like this uh the good and the bad and hopefully Hopefully you're transforming along the way into um, more of the good, but yeah. I so, have to formational question that. for you, Sue. Yeah. Where are my emotions getting the best oh, of me? Oh, I hate that question. Yeah. Mm. Whereas, again, fours, they sometimes can go into navel gazing and into this emotional spiral. Um, depression is very common with fours because mm. of this. And again, that up and down emotional state. So, where are the emotions getting the best of you? Um, sit with that. And um, yeah, I intentionally left off the diva stories, but if you take me out for coffee, I will gladly (laughs) share. (laughs) I take back the offer for people to go to coffee with you. Did we say this is the heart triad? Did we say that? We did say that. You want to feel something? I can't remember if we we said said that. that. Okay. I don't know if we said that, but yeah, the next triad is called the heart triad. Again, as you're sensing when people encounter life, uh, their first reaction is to feel something. Yeah. And these people, the twos, the threes, the fours, they definitely move towards people because of that. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Good. All right, last triad. Our third triad is the head triad. So these are our thinking people. And I do think I've learned this from you. It's interesting as you think about these triads, what is your first response and how you respond yes. to something? Do I feel mm-hmm. that? Do I think that or what's the what's the first triad? Do I? I'm just going with my gut here. Yeah, I'm just responding. I just, yeah, yeah, just acting. Just responding. So, uh, feel and think language are good distinguishers yes. between these couple of triads. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, if you're talking to someone, if you want to discern where they are, how do they respond to questions? I feel we should do this. I think we should do this. Um, yeah, let's just get at it. I'm, I'm just moving from my gut. Yeah. My husband know. can say to me, should we get new windows? And I'll say, I feel, and he, yeah. he'll say, how do you feel yeah, about new exactly. windows? <laughs> just think. So that's a great distinction. So, uh, five, six, and seven. Yep. Um, again, first reaction is to think something in this triad, the head triad, uh, more or less these people move away from people because they get up in their heads and they're moving away from people for different reasons. Uh, fives are the investigators. They're the observers. They have a need for knowledge. They're more on the introverted side. They're curious or analytical, typically uh, very insightful. They love collecting things. And mostly, I know I'm mostly, but many times they collect, they do are collectors and they're also a collectors of information. Mm-hmm. Fives can never usually have enough information. Um, their motivations in life is to be capable and competent. That's where that collecting information and they have a fear of being helpless, useless and not having the answer. Mm. Right. Um, or looking like they don't know what they're talking about. Formational question for them is how am I sharing in community? Now, again, a five, 
um, hearing that, you're like, oh, how does that relate? Well, fives, again, I, I like to say they go to their inner sanctum because fives will definitely recede back and uh, they don't typically do well in social settings. Um, redeemed fives probably will be a little more social than others, but typically they want to like, okay, if I got to go to a, a, a group setting, uh, when is this over? In fact, I think I was doing a training for your, your women's team, uh, the leadership team for your women's group. And the only five in the room raised her hand. The first thing that the first question of the night, yes. we're just starting. And she goes, Eric, when is this going to be over? <laughs> it was just, I'll never forget that. I'm like, Oh, that that's typical. That might be a five. That, it, right. it was, she was a five. Yes, yeah, she was. You know, yeah. and she readily admitted, I, yeah. I want to go home. Yeah. Well, the other thing I was thinking, uh, fives are, um, a good way to know if you have a five in your life, if you went car shopping with a five or you were going to b- make a major purchase in your house and they would oh, yeah. research every single option yes. forever, you know, and the seven is like, let's go buy, let's go drive, <laughs> let's go drive the drive cars. Drive. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. In fact, I think you guys made fun of me because we bought a car last year and you guys were like, Oh, what'd you get? Did you research? I'm like, uh, I had two criteria. <laughs> it had to have, it's got to look good. Apple CarPlay and a sunroof. <laughs> And you're, and you're like, seriously? I'm like, yeah, because all those things are amazing and fun. Right, right. And a five would never, I mean, oh, a no. five would never, yes. Like, what's good. the safety rating? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. There's safety ratings on cars? I don't know. <laughs> Love it. Okay. Uh, six. Six are the loyalists. They're the questioners. They're very responsible. They're trustworthy. Um, they value loyalty, in, in fact, to a fault at times, to family, friends, and groups and causes. Uh, their personalities are very you know, everything from introvert. So sixes are weird on the Enneagram. You're either going to be an outgoing six or more of an ingoing six, mm. right? Or, or outspoken or a non-confrontational in that way. Um, their motivation in life is to find security and support. Sixes are the, the fear factor of the Enneagram. Mm. They're afraid of everything, right? So they always have this backup plan. Um, and again, their main fear is being unable to survive on their own or having no support, uh, or something bad happening, all those things mm-hmm. wrapped in. And so they're, they're this constant, if they're not in a good place themselves in a conscious state of edginess because they're waiting for the sky to fall. Mm. Right. And, um, it, it's, yeah, it's very interesting. And, and sixes and I don't usually get along all that well. <laughs> Because they're always ruining my fun. Well, you can't do that because what about this could happen and this could happen and this could happen. I'm like, seriously? Just jump. So anyway. Yeah, yeah. but sixes are loyal. That's the beautiful part about a six is they've got your back. They do have your back if they trust you. Right. Right. And if if you lose a six's trust for whatever reason, um, it is going to be very hard to get that trust back. Because now they're really going, my fears have been affirmed. Got it. And now it's going to be, I, I got to build this wall to defend myself. Yeah. Right? Um, that, that survival piece kicks in. That's helpful. Did you share the formational question for a six? Did you say oh, that? Oh, no, I didn't. Thank you. Okay. Uh, formational question for a six is how am I celebrating regularly? Mm. Because sixes are you, a lot of times, many times, can get in this doom and gloom. And so they're always um, planning the escape or planning the contingency plan. But you know what? You just got to pause sometimes and don't worry about the bad things that can happen. Let's celebrate the joy and the goodness. Yes, be in the moment and celebrate the goodness of life. Yeah. 
right? And for six, that is literally life-giving. Hmm. That's good. All right, should we skip over seven and just go right oh, to the... This is, come on. <laughs> How much time do we have left? Because here we go. Here we go. Tell us about the sevens. Yeah, sevens are the energetic, the lively, optimistic. They want to experience the world um, and contribute to it. Uh, sevens love their options and want more options of their options. They want options of <laughs> options. Um, their, their motivation is to be satisfied and content and to have their needs fulfilled. And I would say, you know, in, in a healthy way to enjoy life to the fullest, right? Really, that, that's a great motivation for a seven. Um, the fear of a seven, and this is, you know, huge, um, and Sue Ann, you, ha- you can share your stories about this because <laughs> I know we go around and around about it. Uh, the fear of a seven is pain and deprivation, mm. right? Uh, it could be emotional pain. It could be physical pain. It could be pain of circuit. It could be the pain of a tough situation. I actually tell people, and I know this about myself and I've grown to understand this about myself, which has been very life-giving and helpful. And, you know, I have joke, but half serious. If you see me come walking in your hospital room, you know, ask me why I'm there because it's either really, really bad, right? Or I like you a lot because otherwise I'm not going to go visit you in the hospital. Mm. Why? Because the hospital is one big building full of pain, right? Now I know it's weird hearing a pastor say that, but I literally get anxiety about going to a hospital. Mm. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, my wife was like, Eric, we have to visit so-and-so. They're in the hospital. We're going to go visit them. I'm like, great. I'll see you when you get back. And she's like, and my wife obviously knows this about me. She's like, no, we are going to the hospital. I'm like, are you serious? Do I really got to go? It's not really that bad. This person will be fine. We're going to go. And again, my two wife is going, we're going to be there for this person and show that we care and love them. And you're coming with, because I know you care and love them. You're just, your seven's just freaking out. And she actually said that to me. You're avoiding. I'm avoiding that pain of going to the hospital and facing those circumstances. Yeah. And, and being aware of that. And one of the things I always say to you, what is God teaching you by that? How are you leaning into that? In fact, when I saw your formational question is how am I facing pain? I kind of laughed out loud because you did. She actually did did because I know how much you hate to face pain. Mm -hmm. And I, and as a four, I've moved towards pain. And so it's like, I find beauty in pain Mm -hmm. and there's meaning in pain. And, and so I, you and I have this good little, uh, rapport together, but I'm always kind of like, you know what, push you a little more. I'm learning my, again, this is something my spiritual director knows about me too. And it's interesting because he's a seven. But a very redeemed seven. He's helping me become a redeemed seven. And one of the things that he often asks me is that question. Eric, how are you? What is God teaching you in this pain? How are you? Or calling me on it. Eric, it sounds like you're avoiding the pain of X, Y, and Z. Mm. Is that true? Mm. Yeah. Right? And I have to sit there. And most times I have to be honest and saying, I am. Mm-hmm. Okay. How, how do I lean into this? Yeah. Because it's definitely not my first tendency. There's no way I'm moving towards pain. <laughs> my first tendency is to react against it. Yeah. Well, and it goes back to that that question that we started with. How is my how is this pain yes. then um in me holding on to it or my avoidance of it, I should say, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. creating a barrier between following where right. Jesus wants me to go. Yeah. And that's really at the essence of it. It is. And we know, you know, the life of Jesus calls us to go th- to the cross bear our cross before we have resurrection, Mm. right? And so I cannot 
have the joy of resurrection without journeying through the valley of pain to the cross. Mm. Um, And that has something I've been telling myself over and over again uh, through the course of these years of my discovery of the Enneagram. That has been probably one of the most life-giving things for me. One of the hardest, but literally one of the most life-giving. Yeah, yeah. Well, I had Adele Calhoun on, as I mentioned on the previous episode, and, and, you know, she said just knowing your number, again, we're just scratching the surface today, but she said knowing your number is not enough. She said it's like standing at the door of a beautiful castle, Mm -hmm. knowing there are so many rooms (laughs) inside, and you're standing at the door and you refuse to go in. Yeah. What a great picture. It is an amazing picture and is absolutely true. Uh, I've taught this in many places to many people in all different walks of life and all different levels of spiritual maturity, so to speak. And the ones who lean in, the ones who enter that door and go in have, mm, how do I say it? It's not the easiest. It's not the easy journey at all, but you see new life come to them in ways that the folks who just stand at the door and they can say what number they are, but they don't really understand the motivations or really, uh, they haven't done any more with it. The Enneagram is something you just can't read a book. You just can't take an assessment. It's something you literally have to sit with for days, for weeks, for months, for years in community, Mm. in community with the spirit, in community with the body of Christ and growth through that is when growth happens. Yeah. And well, and, and not only does it grow our own selves, but when you look at us in relationship with other people, just we're self-aware, we become mm-hmm. self-aware, but mm-hmm. then all of a sudden it creates this, oh, God uniquely created you yes. <laughs> yes, and God is at work in your life and you have your mm-hmm. own story that, and your own barriers to moving on. And there are reasons for that. And there are things that have happened in your past. And, and, you know, you start to understand and have this whole new perspective and empathy for numbers who are much different than Mm -hmm. you. And then your relationships deepen because you're starting to understand you're not just being a jerk. Mm -hmm. You're not just trying to annoy me. This is actually how God has created Mm -hmm. you. And within that creation, there are good things and there is a war going on in your soul. And rather than me, um, you know, typing you because of that, I see all the beauty that God has created in you Mm -hmm. and in your story. And then it just becomes this like, you know, I want to know more and we understand each other and our Mm -hmm. relationships deepen and get better and we extend more grace and we see things differently. Like there is life waiting on the other side. Yeah. I mean, I I just say amen. (laughs) Yeah. That's, I don't know what else needs to be said. Mm. That's absolutely a great summary of the power when you enter the door and lean into the Enneagram. Again, at first, you're going to hate it. You're going <laughs> to deny it. You're going to fight against it because, listen, it's your false self acting up. But when you lean into it and even reach out, help me, help me face this. Is this true? Do I really do this? Um, it's amazing what you will discover and the freedom you will discover. Yes, freedom. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, it's so good. Um, gosh, I can't believe we're about out of time here. Just one quick last question. As people are listening and they want to know more, how can, if they want to go a little deeper with all of this, what are some great resources that they can lean into to learn more about this? Yeah, a, a, one of the key resources uh, that I always re- refer to people is just a book. It's a great entry-level book called The Road Back to You. Mm. Um, it's put out by University Press. Yes. And uh, look that book up. Um, what I love about it, um, there's scripture throughout it. They do a great summary of the Enneagram. And then at the end of every chapter, 
they give you, I would phrase it as formational points. How do you grow beyond um, your false self in this enneotype? And there's a whole, li- again, options. There's more than one. Yeah. So there's like a list of options to, right now I'm at this place, and so I'm going to work on this one point yeah. for this next several weeks and see yeah. what God does. Um, so I would definitely lean into that as a yeah. key next step. Yeah, and the author of that book, uh, there's co-authors, but uh, Ian Morgan Crone also yes, has thanks. a podcast called Typology. Very good. For all our podcast listeners, uh, it's an awesome podcast that goes through lots of interviews and numbers, and so that's also another resource. And uh, we'll go ahead and post on our social media site some more resources because there's lots of them out there, but The Road Back to You is a definitely uh, a good place to start. So. Yeah, it is. And, and I would say when you're ready, uh, don't do an Enneagram assessment off the bat. Mm. Study for a little bit yourself, discern a little bit yourself, read the different chapters, re-listen to this podcast and say, you know what, that kind of sounds like me. I'm going to start with that chapter. And then after you discern that, then take an Enneagram assessment. Um, there are definitely um, one I can recommend to you that I've done, uh, that Suan's taken and that we recommend around here. Yeah, that's great. That's mm-hmm. great. Well, my friend, uh, I told you we should have done two episodes on this. I knew there wouldn't be enough time, but I just, I so appreciate you being here today. You did such a phenomenal job walking us through um, all, an amazing amount of content and information. So thanks so much for being here. I appreciate you and all your sevenness and all you bring. <laughs> my pleasure. It's been great. And then uh, lunch or dinner was promised with us. Wasn't oh, it? right. Today or payment of some sort, yeah. right? We, need, yes. well, we should get that other coworker to come with us. <laughs> That's right. We'll he make pay. it pay. That's all right. Let's do it. Uh, Well, thanks so much for being here. I really appreciate it, Eric. Well, friends, thanks so much for joining us today. Uh, I hope you learned something new about yourself, about maybe where you are on your journey, and um, maybe where God is calling you to hold a mirror up to your face and see how he's uniquely created you and what some of those barriers may be that are keeping you from transforming more into the person that he has created um, you to be. Uh, Most importantly, I hope you laughed a little bit. I hope you had fun uh, because I know Eric and I sure had fun during this conversation. Uh, If you are interested in learning more about uh, the Enneagram, any of these resources mentioned today, of course, you can Google the ones Eric mentioned on your own, but I will be posting those on our social media pages at Christchurch Women on Facebook and Instagram. So if you're not following us there, you guys are missing out. So go check that out and you will see some more resources there. Of course, you can always reach out to uh, myself or to Eric, and we would love to chat a little bit more with you as well. If you are enjoying Deeper Still, uh, be sure to follow us on your favorite podcast platform. Share this or any of our episodes with a friend. I would love to have more people in this community. I love hearing from you, hearing how Deeper Still is impacting you on your own journey. So keep that feedback coming. Invite people along. And if there is something that you think we should be talking about here that we are not, Uh, feel free to share that with us as well, with me as well. I uh, would love to hear that. But just remember, I'm a four, I'm warm and sensitive. And so be nice to me when you uh, share any feedback or comments as we go. Uh, We'll be back in two weeks as always. Hopefully, uh, Tara Beth Leach will be able to join us on that podcast talking about her new book, Radiant Church. Until then, go in God's grace. Have a great day. Celebrate who you are and how God has created you. And we'll see you back here real soon.